Welcome to the God is not an asshole podcast. If you are one of the many people done with religious dogmatism, hang on. You might sense transcendence, but your church or other faith community never seem to get off the ground. You realize that honoring your conscience means more than fitting in and keeping hard to explain rules? Hang on. You could probably think of the goodness in your tradition, and you tried your best to save that baby, but there's so much bathwater. Join your host, David Norman Moore Jr. in California and Carrie Connolly in New Jersey, who are collaborating to bring on guests who have found life on the other side of fundamentalism. Guests with stories of how they have liberated themselves from beliefs that divide us from each other. None of our guests' narratives are identical, but we hope you'll find something in common with each of them. We invite you to experience our common bond as we all inspire even more of us to embrace the true self. When, when, as you went through this tunnel of, uh, of uh, restrictive evangelical um, thought and theology, uh, as you came out into the light of openness and, and joy, really, um, what happened with uh, regarding, like you said, you didn't have family members that you were disappointing, but you, you certainly must have had friends who just said, Doug, you're going to oh. go to hell or whatever. Till this very know. day, yeah. No, still, yeah, literally on Facebook today. Yeah, somebody wrote that. Yeah, no, look, there. I've been greatly rewarded and benefited by people who disagree with me. It's a really important gift. And if you don't have people who disagree with you, you're really missing out on a great opportunity for life and growth, right? Like it's it's pretty central. So how, um, did, it, how did it feel? I mean, I'm wondering, did you... Did you go through that tunnel, come out into the light, like with lots of boldness and confidence, or did you come out thinking, man, what are people going to say? What, what, how are you feeling in that moment? Yeah, well, I, uh, um, temperamentally, I have a high level of, of confidence because I don't worry too much about getting that stuff wrong. Okay. Partly because I don't think that there's a vengeful God that I'm trying to appease. Ah. Uh. So honestly, once I start there, compared to some of other people I'm talking to, I'm, I'm like, the consequences for me being wrong about this are all social. There's nothing eternal here. I'm not being... <laughs> no. God is not going to punish someone for the thoughts in their head. I promise you. Like, that is just um, not going to happen. So, so, so the consequences were low. So I had a high level of, of uh, freedom and, you know, near on disregard for like, Okay, who cares if yeah. if we get this wrong? Let's just see if we can let's see if we can get it right. Yeah. And look, if John Calvin, when he was twenty four to twenty eight, and wrote his you know his dogmas, he was probably right about some stuff. But I've known a lot of twenty four to twenty eight year olds. He was wrong about a lot of stuff too. That's fine. Ooh. Fair enough, yes, right? Like absolutely. that's that's sort of how it goes. And now I'm fifty six, and I've so I've read a lot of fifty six year old theologians, and I'm wrong about a lot of stuff. But they the thing is, is think about the legacy. I mean, John Calvin is stuck, you know, yeah, poor with, guy. <laughs> uh, you know, and so I think there's something to be said for being malleable and open to to correction and and humility. Uh, those things are important because how do you stay in touch with with the next generation, your own family, your own kids and grandkids or whoever? How do you stay connected with them? If you're entrenched in a way, in a faith system that constricts you. 
And if you've already got it figured out, life is just boring from there on out, yeah. right? That what that because what are you going to do? Like you, you really think and for any of us, do we really think we have a formula of understanding that can apply to every situation of things that matter and we're just going to run the formula and it's going to always come out with us on the right First of all, ridiculous. Secondly, what fun would that be? Like, where's the where's life and growth and adventure? Right, right. <laughs> and spontaneity. Right. Like, it just makes it just makes no sense. The late so Peter I've Gomes had very. To your point, the late Peter Gomes, uh, who was uh-huh. the chaplain at Harvard Divinity, he said that the the Bible is like a map, and he said some people never nice. take their eyes off the map when the destination is right in front of, front of them. All the places they're looking for. Yeah. That's how I am with my phone sometimes. Like, look at a Google map. Like, I think I'm there. Like, just look <laughs> up. No, you're there. You'll see it. It's right there. That building that you're looking for that's on the map, it's right there in front of you. It happened to me but just people yesterday. People are so fascinated with the map. That's all they yes. talk about. They look at the map. They talk about the map. They preach about the map <laughs> and don't even look up. <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah, look, that is so insightful. That is, uh, look, and and it's not, here's the thing. It's not just religion. I, I'm around a lot of non-religious people in my life by on, on purpose and just by circumstance. We should not fool ourselves somehow into thinking that it's religion or th- our, our particular religious texts that force this on us. In fact, I would suggest that our religious traditions and our religious text should help us not do this. That's what they're best useful for is to produce this humility you're talking about in perspectival understandings of things and know that there's more going on and you don't have to be in control. But man, I'm in situations where this kind of level of dogma and this level of certainty and this level of, of isolation from other ideas that don't agree with us, it's all over the place. Like it yeah. is not, certainly not held to any one religion. Um, it's, I, I have the privilege of working interfaith with people who in yeah. their own religions, it was just with a person uh, uh, who runs a, a group called Hindus for uh, Human Rights. And she's really bothered by the the way Hinduism becomes fundamentalist and turns against other people and it's exclusivist and friends in, in Islam that do that and a friend who's, happening a, who's a, in, a Sikh in person. India, and, as you, as we, we speak, it's happening against the, uh, the Punjabi, uh, the Sikh people there. Yes. Yeah, and I was with a Sikh uh, person in, in, in London a couple of weeks ago. So yeah, I mean, this is... Look, it's it's the, it's a human practice to do this. This is what we do as people, and our traditions, our religions, our habits—they are best when they help us break from that. Yeah. So it is particularly shameful when our religions double down on it because they're supposed to be one of the parts of our human experience that should free us from that. Yeah. This is what Jesus's project was about. A lot of—I mean, I'm much more in the Jesus tradition. I know bits and pieces of other traditions, but I know this particular one, you know, sort of as first language. So I can speak about that, that that's what Jesus is getting at. You know, the very, you have heard it said, but I say to you. Um, And and so it's fundamentally not only that God's not an asshole, but that you're not either, nor are those people that you're pretty sure are your enemies. Thank you. Thank you. Right? He's going to say stuff like, you know, a good Samaritan, which we just take as, you know, a great thing. But you know, that would be like, pick your pick your group that you think is a problem and a real threat to you and just insert good in front of them. That That's the kind of emotional sense that good Samaritan would have had in how Jesus' about, day. For how about the, good transgender people uh, yeah. right now in this moment, right? In, in this society. So, so when you, when you 
came out into the a, a broader way of being. And you just mentioned that you you have a lot of people in your in your world who are not religious. Um, tell me about your your new friendships, your new relationships, because you know I found that I it's it's sad that I had to give up really what I thought were good re- good friendships and relationships, but people were more interested in keeping their beliefs than keeping yeah. their relationships. So tell me about your you know your world of friendships now. Yeah, it's um, it's good, it's rich, and it's also not the same as feeling like you're part of a of an overall sh- uh, more shared narrative, right? Um, so I, I, somebody, I'm just still working on these ideas. So this one's this stuff's like fresh, like 72 hours fresh from a conversation that I just had earlier this week at a conference. The presenter there was talking about narratives and stories, and he used this metaphor where he said narratives. Are the is the roadway. Stories are the automobiles that we're in. So we have our stories that are riding on a on a roadway or a highway. Okay. So someone has mapped out the road, right? Or you're going off road, but you've got an overriding kind of narrative. Okay. So I'm around a lot of people where we share a same narrative. If we're religious or not religious, that. We want to live in an inclusive world. We understand that binaries are damaging to each of us individually and to us collectively. We know that we have to uh, deliberately work on systems and habits and behaviors that are that uh, allow for participation and, and growth and all this kind of stuff. But we're in different vehicles. Or mm. if I hop in their car, another faith or no faith or something, it's fine. I'm glad to ride. You know, I get it. Yeah, I've had Uber rides with people or sort of jumped in a car. But when you're in someone else's car, it feels a little different, right? The seats fit a little different. The smells are a little, a little different. You might not pick that car. The music might be a little something. You don't feel quite at home. I have a yeah. lot of friendships where I'm jumping in other people's cars and it's fine. I oh also want to be in some, I want to be in the, I, you see where I'm going with this metaphor? Like, yeah. like I want to be in the car of the yeah. story that I want to live into. Wow. And what I don't want, what I'm feeling like I'm going to have to do is, to be on this in this new highway, this new narrative, yeah, I'm gonna have to like get on a motorcycle or drive by myself or ride, you know, uh, carpool with someone else or I don't know, get into public transportation. I'm probably belaboring the metaphor. No, but, but this but is I wanna, good. I want to be in that vehicle as well and not just on the road. So yeah. I, I don't know. I'm kind of I'm kind of working because that's how that's that was capturing some of the feeling I have about this stuff. You t- wanna... you took me back. 40 years when I first moved to Santa Barbara here. And one night I was on the freeway and it was raining hard and my car stalled and I got out and, and I was looking for those phones that they used to have before we had our own cell phones and everything. You know, I was looking and a guy pulled over and he picked me up and he, and he brought me home. And I remember as we, when we were in the car, and remember, this is 40 years ago. I'm yeah. in my fundamentalist days. I I was so grateful to him. And I asked him, Are you a Christian? Yeah. <laughs> not not because I wanted to convert him. I was just wondering if you know this decency came from, you know, his his Christian yeah. faith. And he said, One must one be a Christian to do a good deed? <laughs> and I was like, 
I was so embarrassed. I'm still embarrassed. It's 40, yeah. 40 years later, and I'm still that's embarrassed. Right. Yeah, but that's yeah. what you took it to when you said, you know, we're in, we're all in cars. We're on. We've got the, we've got a similar narrative, but we but our stories are different. And yeah. I was presuming that we had the same story. Same story. Yeah. yeah. I mean, isn't that a, that, that? There's just something about that. I that, that uh, maybe it's because we've been so many of us have been in cars and on roads and. So yeah, it's so yeah. There's all these friendships. So I'm I'm into it. I like it, um, but it doesn't feel quite doesn't feel quite as comfortable. Doesn't feel quite as at home. It's interesting because I'm learning whole new concepts and whole new stories and new ways of thinking about it. And that kind of thing is really fun. I'm I'm a new guitar player. I have, it's guitars by me. I started playing just like 14 months ago, and. So every day I'm learning new things and I love that. But I also, when I grab my guitar, there's just a few riffs now that I can play. And I find myself just wanting to play some of those familiar things and like, you know, make a little, I want to make a little music. I don't want to work at everything. I just want to play. And so I know how to play in the, I'm mixing metaphors all up here, but I know how to play in the playground of the Christian tradition. And I want that to be in this narrative. And so that's why talking to you and other people is just so great. And we try to do it in the work that we do is to give people the access to these other um, people. So I'm, I'm all for the, you know, the other worlds it too. It's so, so great, Doug, but, what it feels like to me that you're saying, it's like the difference between Friendsgiving and Thanksgiving. Uh, wow. You know, if you, I know it it's improper to, to even look at that holiday as Thanksgiving anymore because it's colonizer day, but still, it's it's the difference between being together with family and being mm-hmm. together with friends. But you got to be, you got to switch to the friends when the family is in chaos. Yeah, totally. Got to go it alone, man. I remember this so vividly a number of times in my life when I was a teenager and and as an adult, like feeling like if I keep going down this road that I'm on, this narrative, this inclusive, God's not against us, God's for us narrative, I could end up alone, Yeah, you know? Um, you know, I got a 1980s white snake song running in my head. You know, here I go again on my own, walking down the yeah. lonely streets. Um, I meant the drummer to white he used to live here, by the way. Oh, but anyway, come go ahead. on. Did you really? <laughs> yeah. I'm working on that guitar riff right now. That's really fun. <laughs> um, and, and look, some of that's temperament, right? That's how an Enneagram eight like me sort of thinks about the world. Like I'm going to ultimately be alone, you know, all that stuff. But but it's also kind of a it's a it's a true emotional response that yeah, sometimes it's just it's just hard. You're just going to be you know the only one riding in this car, and you wish some people are on the road trip with you. Um, you know, I think about the same thing, you know, sometimes I just, I, 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 I dream, I wish I could just, you know, we have a pot fire pit in the backyard and I just think, I would just love to invite some people over with shared history, you know, mm-hmm. you know, to just sit in and, 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 you know, just have, enjoy one another. But so many of those people have, have, you know, gone in, well, I've gone in the different direction, you know, yeah. they stayed in yeah. the, and so I, I missed that. Dude, I, I mean, I, I think now, now you know, we should reflect as upper middle-aged uh, people because I've realized that I'm now at the age where I have more miles of memory behind me than likely going to be in front of me. And 
there's all of these people, all of this time that I've spent with so many people that I know, no matter who I meet tomorrow around here, like locally that I could see a lot, it's not going to compare to the 20 years I spent as a pastor of that church with this group of people or the 35 years total that there's been in this kind of work, right? Like some of those are, I, I'm not getting 35 more years, right? Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Uh, there, and that's a, that's a, that's a recognition that like, okay, how am I then going to spend this? And it gets, a, it can get a little um, sad. There's a period where you're thinking there's still more in front of me than there has been behind. And I, I can start gaining up a bunch of relationships and think about being in these friendships for 20 or 30 or 40 right, years. Right, I right. used to talk about that a lot. And now it's like, okay, maybe not 30, maybe 30, maybe not, 30, you know, depending if my wife's around and she says, let's, let's talk about 40 years. I'm like, okay, but we're going to be beating the odds. So, all right. Um, and so that's a really hard thing, right? You're like, how much more change should I do if it's going to risk any any relationship? Because the thing you said earlier, I totally agree with, where people are willing to give up relationships for beliefs. And then I think, maybe I have been too, mm. right? Yeah. Maybe I've said, I need to get out of this story of this car right now yeah, because I need to take this exit ramp onto this other road that's going this other narrative over here and I'm willing to get out of your car. Like I'm not, I haven't only been kicked out of the cars. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, interesting. If you hear other people's perspectives, they might be, I don't know, Doug left or like you said, mm-hmm. like you made choices and you left and people are like, I didn't kick you out. Yeah. You left. Okay, so what do we right. do with that, Doug? <laughs> I don't know. That's what grief and regret is about. I think, you know, <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know what you do with it. Except be honest when you can. Right. And you know, when, when honesty presents itself to you, you should take it as a, pretty magical moment because we're pretty good at deceiving ourselves. So when honesty fights through. Okay. Like, so okay. here's, here's another piece and, and you can do with it what you will. But one of the things that I've noticed, Doug, is that, um, and, and this has to do with, you know, cultural masculinity. Mm. I have found that as I have done work on myself and, and transformed and, and grown, that I don't need to be the man. And so some of my best relationships are with women, mm. you know, you know, perfectly healthy friendships, but we connect better because I don't have a need to be the man anymore. I didn't even know I had that. You know, it yeah. was it was subconscious. But I was performing yeah. a role. I mean, totally. the role said, even in marriage, the role said that I was supposed to be the head, you know, yep. and 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 my wife was supposed to submit, you know, back in those days. And and so that's because that's gone and I don't have I don't feel the burden of having to be in charge. Sometimes it doesn't connect with men as well as you, and we need men in our lives. Yeah, dude, it's it is. It's true. I mean, that's the other thing that age has brought along. I have male friendships and relationships that are deeper now, but also some that like we just can't seem to get over or beyond or to the next, to the next place. And a lot of... It's always small talk, right? Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of openness and deep wondering consideration and stuff. Yeah, you're talking about sports or you're talking about bands, you know, music, you're talking, uh, oh, whatever, but you, you don't get to the deep stuff. Yeah, that's right. 
Yeah, and I realized that as a pastor, there was a sense where I could pull that stuff off because it was part of the the role, mm. right? And it was, I'm not sure it was a cover or it was a, it was a, a stand-in, but it was just allowed for there. You know, you could think about those things. But interpersonally, like, yeah, let's not, let's not, let's not get all, you know, wondering about things. Um, well, don't you think that, that some of that had to do with our heteronormativity and, uh, and transphobia and all of that stuff? You know, we, we had to be real men. Yeah, I th- yeah, yeah, I do. I, I do think so. Um, and I think that those same things show up in uh, other communities where heteronormativity isn't the dominant, but some other narrative is the dominant. These same kinds of bad practices show up. Okay. Where people are told who can talk and who can't talk and who should be listened to and who's safe and what the rules are going to be and the rules aren't going to be. I mean, that that stuff doesn't only exist in uh, male-dominated yeah. patriarchal yeah. systems. It's you know, uh, it, it exists, it, it exists, uh, yeah. it's, it's, it's around and it, it manifests differently. And, you know, it's, um, it's different reward systems in different places in different ways, but boy, it is, uh, you know, I'm, I, I operate both in the religious space and the, and political spaces, right? And so I can assure you, I'm in super progressive political spaces yeah. and, um, I mean, there's entire systems of community agreements and how do you fix wrongs for it because it's just known that it's going to happen and it's just expected and it's going to turn into a, you know, full contact sport at some point if we're not, if we're not careful. So I just yeah, had a conversation I, I, with a woman who was in that, who was in the middle of that ex- and actually had a heart attack last week because that kind of, uh, you know, back and forth was going on and she was, she felt unheard and she was carrying it with her and went home from a board meeting and ended up in the hospital. Yeah. It's so, so yeah, I'm not, so I'm not, I'm not doing what about ism. I'm not letting anything off the hook. I I'm saying that in my life and maybe similar to yours, I know how that impulse is shrouded in male dominance heteronormativity and for me, white male normativity. Uh, and in other spaces where that's not the predominant narrative, yeah. something very similar also, sh- the human experience also shows up and it's yeah. in another form and it's fueled by an additional sets of stories. So we're all in this thing together. And that's, to me, that's part of the good news, right? Okay. So we don't have a single problem where we're trying to find the solution. We have a grand predicament, a big dilemma that requires multiple responses. So we have to find ways to be multi-responsive to these, to these circumstances and situations. And that's been a, that's been a real growth curve for me. I've put myself intentionally inside of some other systems and where the leadership uh, structures were designed differently by different uh, people of different social locations. And it's been familiar, familiarly problematic. Like, oh, I recognize what's happening right now and I didn't see this coming. Um, so we need healthy community. We, we just, that's... And it's hard, man. It yeah. is... Look, and, and this is why I think, you know, not, not to be overly like, okay, back to the, you know, back to my car for a second, but in the story that I come from and you come from, 
because we're nested, the Christian story is like a little, you know, Ukrainian nesting doll is nested inside of the Jewish text. The, the book of Genesis is like this ancient wisdom book that starts out with a story in which there's a son of God who has two sons, and one of those sons kills the other one. Yeah. <laughs> like not late, yeah, not late in the narrative, but that's right. Like <laughs> scene one, cut to uh right. So, you know, There's in no the suspense. story. <laughs> yeah. That's right. That's right. In the story, you know, as a story, we've got four characters, maybe a couple of bit bit characters, and you know, we got a 25% murder rate. Um so we're supposed to, I think, recognize, okay. There's something, there's something that's been reflected on by human literature ongoingly. Mm-hmm. So we should be careful to not think that we have a, only a particular problem. We do. I mean, there's no doubt about it. We have figured out ways. I can think of the writings of the Apostle Paul that's like, honest to God, we have, we invent ways of doing evil. Like, it's unbelievable. Like, we'll read the script and then come up with some additional ways to, you know, do you this got to me, each other. You, like, got me, you got me thinking about Rene Girard. Uh, you know, see, we all Girard do this. Girard is on it. He's like, we got a, we got a problem and we're going to come up with a scapegoat at one point or the other. And Somebody's got to die. You know, we're going we're gonna to be fine after somebody dies. Yes. Yeah. Whether it's Rene Girard or is it, is it Forno? It's like, there's going to be a heartache tonight. You know, there's going to be a heartache. Like that is the thing we know. Like there's just some things we know to be true. Right. And so what do we do about, uh, about this stuff? Right. We, we need to recognize and then say, so then, then what do we do and how does it get any better? And is there a call for it to get better? Or are we just Mm. Are we just doing uh, harm reduction? Is that the best we can ever get to? Is is harm reduction? And no, I think there's. I think there is a call for something else. You know, I think Jesus's call for what he in the text I read is referred to as the kingdom of God. I like to think of as a world in which uh, all people are seen, everyone has enough, and no one has to be afraid. Like, yeah, yeah let's do it. Let's pursue that world and know that we are the seeds of our own struggle. We are, you know, human beings, it seems to me, and I, don't, I keep wanting to check this with people that know biology and the animal kingdom better, but I think human beings are the only creatures that self-harm on a consistent basis. So there's something about consciousness that is connected to self-harm. And not only do we self-harm, we harm others. And 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 so there's something in us that allows for that to be the case that we have to be working through and to. And I don't know if humanity's consciousness is developing and growing, getting better. I, I want to believe it is. Because I want to believe we, that it is. Because if we don't know, I'd rather believe in that future than the <laughs> other one. Right? Until I prove it wrong, like I could have a default on this. So I, I don't know that. And so so I guess as I've gotten, I've I've been like, okay we need response mechanisms, not, not just reaction, but we need to have yeah. different ways to respond and different ways to engage because there's some things that are just going to come up yeah. and uh, we will find ways to cast those into more immovable forces. So we act as if it's not on us. And I just you think it's what? on us as human beings. We, we have definitely gone over time, but I'm just having... Uh, such a good time 
just having this conversation with you. Um, so, you know, I want to thank you. You know, we started out talking about, you know, the indictment of, of uh, Donald Trump. And yeah. um, before we before we stop, I, I just um, another conversation I had with my wife yesterday was we noticed how so many people in the uh, in the legal system who are who are carrying this burden, this heavy burden of responsibility, uh, uh, are African-Americans. You know, the district attorney, uh, William Bragg and Letitia James and the the person down there in Georgia. Um, And so we were wondering, is this this just coincidental or does it mean that white folks don't want to take responsibility? I don't know. Or, Or whiteness, not white folks, but whiteness. That's in, that is so interesting. And that the positions that have the authority to bring to bear the, f- the power of the state, the uh, black people are in those positions in the places that we've mentioned. Like yeah. that is a, that is a noticeable, that's a noticeable reality. And do and you think, and, and look, th- and, and let's not fool ourselves. That is part of the pushback right now. Oh, yeah. that is oh, part of what. <laughs> Absolutely. That that is that's, for, that's the finger is going to be the it's going to be a blame uh, a finger of blame pointed, you know, at them for being black. Um, yes, but you know, and and then I think about Merrick Garland, the pressures on him because you know here's a white guy and he's watching the black folks do everything and people have expectations of him. And people are going to be like, oh, yeah, let's go, let's go. And, and if it becomes, if it is in perception, you know, uh, becomes that there was some race narrative that protected its own and left other prosecutors um, out to do the difficult work, that's not, that's not going to go well. And look, we, that's 100% possible that that kind of thing could go down or people could feel that way. Well, that both of those are true, but so, it's a heavy yeah, burden. It's, it's not like it's. It's. I don't see it as being motivated by vindictiveness or anything like that. You know, this takes a lot of thought. You have to factor in the safety of your family. Yes. So do the grand jurors. You know, everybody. That is so insightful. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. Wow. Well, look. Um, if you happen to I be mean, driving through Santa Barbara and you want to. Have a beer in, in, in the backyard. Uh, yes, I do. In fact, our, our, our son and soon-to-be daughter-in-law have moved. Well, they're in LA now, and uh, but they, their parents, her parents, have a place in Santa Barbara, so they get down there a lot. So we might get. Wow. So th- there are there are more chances uh, just built into my like. Well, why do I end up in California rhythms? That is that is expanded by a bit. So I would love that. that. <laughs> that would really be a that would really be a treat. And look, I would talk about this stuff with you uh, on podcasts or just talking about stuff. So yeah. any any time. I really appreciate that. Um, Carrie missed out, but you know we'll do it again with Carrie. Uh, Could we yeah. please? That would be uh, you know that'd be life goal met. So that would be excellent. Yay. Thank you so much for being here today. We are people who have left behind performance-based religion and the shame that comes with it. Maybe you have a personal liberation story to tell and we want to know about it. Please contact us on Twitter at GodIsNotAnAsshole or text 805-703-8393 because the world needs to know that God 
is not an asshole. <laughs>